And today's vision sermon is just about that, this generation and the generation to come. But you know, these generations are connected to one another. So there are past generations that have pushed us forward and we now have to step into the present moment so that those in the next generation can experience the multicultural unity and the love that God desires and has designed. We've got to stop the madness and we've got to start loving one another regardless of color, class, or culture. Welcome to Bridgeway Community Church. And today I want to talk about our vision for the next ministry year. I'm gonna launch our theme and I'm gonna give you our direction so that you can be praying with me and our ministry as we move forward. Last year, our theme was discover God, his purpose, his power, his peace. Little did we know much of his peace would be needed so greatly now. Little did we know that his power would be needed to address a triple threat, the threat of the pandemic, the threat of racial strife, the threat of an economic stress and crisis. We need his power, his peace more than ever before. The subject matter verse that we came from last year to highlight the theme, Discover God, was when Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Well, little did we know we would need his strength and weakness that we would need his power to rest on us. Friends, Christ's peace and Christ's power has rested on me. What about you? Christ's peace and Christ's power has rested on my family. What about you? Christ's peace, Christ's power has rested on Bridgeway Community Church. And according to three surveys that were taken in the last several months, we can say that the peace and the power of Christ and his favor is on this place. One survey we took was the best Christian workplace survey. And it showed that 100% of our employees are engaged in the work that they're doing here. And we hit the highest rating we had ever hit before in the top category called flourishing. 13% in the nation. We are, according to them, in the top 13% of best Christian workplaces in the entire nation. But there was another survey we took, not of our staff or employees, but also from Barna. And Barna Research Group wanted to test the church's congregational health and discipleship engagement, and we received high marks there. The results of 80% of the respondents surveyed scored Bridgeway in the flourishing or growing categories, meaning that you feel like you are growing spiritually, and for some of you, you're even flourishing here at Bridgeway Community Church. But it's not just working here or worshiping here, but what about our wallets? 
Well, according to the secular financial audit that we took, that we take every single year, Bridgeway just completed over this last month another clean and clear financial audit with a secular CPA company that has declared to our board that out of all the nonprofit organizations that they do audits for, Bridgeway Community Church is in the top 2% of all the clients that they have. And they declare that we measure and control and manage our books so very well. I'm telling you all this not to brag, but to report on the favor of God along with the work of our hands that's being blessed. And as a result of this, my prayer is that God would leverage this favor in our lives and leverage what's going on in our ministry, not just with our working staff or not just with our worshiping congregation and not just with our wallets and the way we steward the wealth that God has given us, but that we would be the congregation that God would say, I want to continue to allow my peace and my power and my purpose to rest on this multicultural ministry called Bridgeway Community Church. But we find ourselves in the midst of this triple threat, dealing with the economic crisis and the racial unrest and with the health pandemic that is upon us. What is our place going forward as a ministry? We cannot rest on the laurels of our past. We cannot rest on what happened 25 to 30 years ago when we started Bridgeway Community Church. But the men of Issachar, according to the scriptures, knew what to do in the times that they were in. And we've got to understand the times that we are in and ask ourselves the question, God, what do you want us to do as a church? So the big question of today that I want to pose to each of you, regardless of where you are, and you can answer this if you want in the chat or you can just sit on your sofa and ponder it. But here's the question. Can we have his peace without justice? You've heard the phrase, no justice, no peace. Is that simply a catchy protesters rant? Or is it actually biblical truth? Is it possible to have peace without justice? Well, from a biblical standpoint, the gospel is wholly about peace with God. In particular, the gospel teaches us that man is at enmity with God and with one another. Have you heard that word enmity before? Not enemy, but enmity. Maybe you can say it. Say enmity. Yeah, it's not a word that we often use in our daily vocabulary. But here are a couple definitions in case you don't know what it means. Enmity can be essentially described as perpetual opposition or enemies inherent at odds. Another definition, enmity means intense hostility and comes from the same Latin root as enemy and means the state of being an enemy. Enmity is stronger than antagonism or animosity. You know, in the Old Testament, the word enmity means hate. It's the Hebrew word ebha, E-B-H-A-H, ebha. And we find it in Genesis 3.15, when God is speaking to the serpent to bring a curse on him, he says, I quote, I will put enmity between your offspring and hers. 
he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That there would be enmity, the, the opposition between the children who are the offspring of, of God and the ones that are offspring of the devil, if you will. And of course, that was a prophetic verse where Jesus would crush the very head of Satan on the cross of Jesus Christ, even though the enemy may strike his heel. So we find that word enmity, which means hate, ebha, in the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, we see the word enmity, and it means hostility. In the Greek language, which the primary language of the New Testament was written in, the word is ekthra. Let me spell it, E-C-H-T-H-R-A. E-C-H-T-H-R-A, ekthra, and that means hostility. And we find this in four passages that I'll highlight in the New Testament. Luke chapter 23, 12, Romans chapter 8, verse 7, James chapter 4, verse 4, and Ephesians 2, 15. Let me look and highlight each one. Luke 23, 12 says this, that day... Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies, or the word is enmity. Now that, my friends, is a sermon all in itself one day, when your enemies come together and line up against you. Herod and Pilate were enemies, now they're coming together because they want to crucify Jesus. So we see it in that context. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, we see it again. It says this, I quote, the sinful mind is hostile to God. Hostile. That's that word, okay? Ekthra. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So we see it in the New Testament in Romans 8, 7. We also see it in James 4, 4. Listen to what it says. You adulterous people, do you know that friendship with the world is hatred or ekthra toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy, ekthros, of God. And so we can see from the Old Testament to the New Testament, this word enmity means hate and hostility. I gave you four quick references from the scripture, one from the Old Testament, three from the New Testament, a total of four, showing us that enmity is hate and hostility. But friends, we need to stop. We need to dance together in the spirit. We need to stop the hate. We need to start the love. And there's so much hate going on. And I have a question for you. With so much hate and hostility, have you, have you seen it in our country? Have you seen it in our land? Have you seen it in our world? With so much hate and hostility, is there any believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, under the sound of my voice, that believes that this is okay with God? Is there any believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who thinks God is happy with us right now? Is there any believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who is okay with the hate and hostility? Well, I'm here as your pastor today to declare that I'm not okay with this. Bridgeway is not okay with this. The elders, the elders council of women, 
the clergy, the staff, we're not okay with this. My wife and my kids, we're not okay with this. We're not okay with hate. We're not okay with hostility. We're not okay with hurling insults at one another. The bridge between enmity, which God doesn't want us to have, and unity, which God is calling us for and toward, is the cross of Jesus Christ. In other words, enmity is hate and hostility. God loves us so much that he wants us to have unity. But the way to get from enmity to unity is through the cross of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, taking all the hate and all of the hostility onto himself so that when we come into a relationship with him because of his love, we would then have his love replace our hate and bitterness so that we could be unified one with another. God's desire for us is unity, not enmity. So we're not okay with hate, hostility, hurling insults with one another. Let me tell you one thing else that we're not okay with. Listen to me carefully. We're not okay with holding down the fort until Jesus returns to take us home and do nothing about the hate and hostility on the earth. Let me say it again because this may be new for some people, but I'm not okay and our church is not okay with simply holding down the fort until Jesus comes back. Let's get together and pray for Jesus to return and let's lock ourselves in a corner somewhere and not get involved in the world's hate and hostility and just do nothing about it. It's not okay for me to just preach about heaven and hope and personal holiness and allow the world to continue to spin on its axis of anger and bitterness and racism and division. It was in Jesus's plan to come into a world that was broken by sin and to somehow turn around the hate and hostility into love and peace. Preaching about heaven and hope and holiness is important and it is necessary. It's inspiring to all of us. But I will not allow the religious tactic to be used where we escape our responsibility from fighting for the justice of all people so we can just hold on to the time when Jesus comes back. I will not allow piety and theology to be used as a religious weapon to continue to enslave people of color. If the bridge between enmity and unity is the gospel, then we've got to understand that the gospel is for everyone. But we've got to be committed to preaching the whole gospel not simply the salvific gospel where Jesus died on a cross for us so we could personally be saved and he rose again from the dead, yes, but the power of the gospel has ramifications and we must live the power of the gospel out in such a way that what Jesus said in Luke chapter 418 still lives today. This is what Jesus said. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, listen, to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Notice what Jesus says. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me. This is at the beginning of his public ministry, has anointed me to preach, to proclaim, to recover and to release, to preach, to proclaim, to recover and release. Well, who are the recipients of this? He says it to preach the gospel to who? The poor, to proclaim freedom to who? The prisoner, to recover the sight for who? The blind and to release the oppressed. And so when you look at those groups, the poor, the blind, the oppressed, the prisoner, isn't it interesting that those are the ones in our culture who usually suffer the most from the systems that continue to keep them down. And Jesus says, no, I came to actually liberate them. <laughs> I came to actually bring freedom to preach and to proclaim, to recover and to release. But unfortunately, we've had a lot of bad Christianity in the Western world over the generations. And we've got to preach the whole gospel and who it's for. It's for everyone. Did y'all know that there was actually something called a slave Bible? Yeah. Selected parts of the Bible were just for the Negroes. It was uh, in the early 19th century produced in England for the British West Indies. And it's amazing because all the verses about freedom, liberation, and escape from slavery were taken out of the Bible. And in order to educate the slaves, they would use the Bible, but they would emphasize obedience and submission while taking out the entire book of Exodus. You know, that whole message about let my people go. We wouldn't want the slaves to read that. They took out the whole book of Revelation because there could be a future reckoning for the, for the lives that, are, that we are living on the earth. But they did leave in the story of Joseph, who was a good slave, and he just remained until God delivered them, delivered him. And so that text of Joseph in slavery stayed. I don't know if you know this, but in Genesis, not Genesis, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, they took that one out too. Do you know what it says? This is an important one to understand, because if we're going to preach the whole gospel, we've got to know who that gospel is for. And in Genesis, in uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male, nor female. Check it out, ready? For you all are one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Oneness. Here's a trip thing. They took that verse out too. <laughs> we don't want a Bible that teaches we're all one. We don't want a Bible that says slave nor free, we are still a part of the gospel. And so you've got to understand that religion, Christian religion in and of itself was a part of the systemic racism that caused people to want to 
maybe know a God, but they have to stay surrendered and submitted to a different people group because that people group was seen more special in God's eyes. And the gospel teaches us that we are not better than anyone else. And we're not worse than anyone else. That all of us need the mercy of the Lord at the foot of the cross to wash us from our sins. So you might be saying, Pastor, why, why did you mention this? I mention this because the 20th century Christianity focuses on heaven and future hope. And I'm okay with that as long as it's not heaven and future hope alone. And it's been used by organized Christianity to teach freed blacks and enslaved blacks before that they must be obedient, submissive, uh, obey the law, endure suffering on the earth, and it became a tactic to keep black people oppressed. Listen, in the name of God. Systemic racism theologically has been used as a weapon that the powerful could hold over the powerless. Yes, let's talk about heaven. Yes, but let's not be complicit any longer by allowing our faith to be used as a weapon to subjugate people of color or to demand supremacy over them in the name of God or to tell them that a fight for justice on the earth and for equality and, and, and equity is somehow just liberal Christianity. But if you really want to be a good Christian, stand against abortion and stand for uh, traditional marriage and every single other thing doesn't matter. We don't care if the baby that we fought for comes alive about his whole life. In other words, there are a lot of people who are, they say they're pro-life. They're not pro-life. They're pro-birth. Let the baby be born, and then I don't care what kind of life he lives. And even if he shows up on my doorstep, if he doesn't have papers, he's not welcome. I don't need anybody to say amen. I like preaching to the cameras because you got to deal with this in your own heart and in your own house. You've got to ask yourself the question, why are you so preoccupied about gay people and unborn children, but when people are at your front door in your backyard or moving to your suburban neighborhood, all of a sudden you feel threatened and wrong and you want to question people's Christianity. We can no longer stand for this. We've got to be a church that will stand for people, whether they're unborn or born. Am I pro-life? Yes. Am I traditional marriage? Yes. But you've got to ask yourself the question, what am I doing right now for the people who God says, I was anointed to preach, to proclaim, to recover and release? What about them? By the way, this is good, this is good, uh, this is good preaching right here <laughs> because Jesus said, you want to know how to pray? Well, I'm going to tell you how to pray. <laughs> Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hmm. Thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Are you praying that? So can we talk? It's real talk with Dr. David Anderson. You see, friends, we must, we must talk about hell on earth for the generations of black people who were systemically ripped apart from their families, kidnapped, brutally and inhumanely transported to the West to be used as workhorse animals to build this country. We need to talk about the relationship between governmental power, police authority, economic systems, housing systems, and justice systems that have come against the dignity, the esteem, and the very souls and bodies of black people. We must talk about white guilt and the trauma that whites and others feel when they hear about racism toward black people. It's not just a black and white thing. We need to talk about Hispanics and Latina peoples and what their challenges are as an immigrant population. And we must realize that Puerto Ricans are freaking Americans. <laughs> I said freaking, just to be clear. Once you go reeking, you always be freaking. <laughs> but seriously, you got to understand. Listen, just because people are brown or black or, or Hispanic, now we, we all have our story. Uh, whites, we all have our story. And we need to talk about Asians and the powerful Asian persuasion and the racial makeup of America. And what is your voice? And how do you help build bridges between the extremes of black and white in our country? See, if we're going to be a gracious church, we can't just sing Kumbaya every Sunday and then support the very systems that break the backs of poor people of all colors Monday through Saturday. We must talk about poor white people and how we must be helpful to that neglected group of brothers and sisters. But we must also talk about our diverse whites. These, these are the ones that are people who have helped the struggle for equality for generations and continue to stand with people of color to this day. So many of you I know, so many of you I love, so many of you are in my church family and my nuclear family. We honor you for standing with us as we stand with you. And by the way, if they ever come after you, we got your back too, because that's what racism is. It's not just about one color, it's about all. It's not about one culture, it's about all. It's about all of us coming into unity because the blood of Christ baptizes us into one family. We may have different mothers, but we got the same father, so that makes us brothers and sisters, amen and amen. But can I also tell you what we gotta talk about? Are y'all still with me or you need to change the channel? <laughs> we need to talk about black forgiveness now, this is a tough one, but yes, we must, must, must talk about black forgiveness. See, black people, if you do not declare forgiveness in your hearts while still longing for and working for justice, you will be eaten up by the bitterness, the resentment, and the rage that will change your very soul. See, there's a difference between freedom and justice. And you can be imprisoned by your unforgiveness. 
So declare forgiveness. Even when it feels difficult, we've got to talk about freedom and justice. And don't allow yourself to be imprisoned even if you're no longer enslaved. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Hmm. We must talk about blacks who take advantage of race instead of taking advantage of the opportunities to better themselves. Y'all ready to change the channel yet? (laughs) We need to talk about poverty and crime. And yes, we must also talk about that dirty word. Politics. You know, like Reverend Dr. Barbara Williams Skinner said, it may not be our fault, but it's our problem now. Let's not sit around and talk about whose fault it is, who it wasn't me, it wasn't my forefathers. Okay, it may not be your fault, but it's your problem. I love the way she puts it because it says, let's get on the solution side of figuring out what this problem is. And so I've been asking myself, and I've been asking my leaders, and I've been asking those around me, is it possible to address institutional racism without being political? Is it possible to address systemic racism without being radical? Is it possible to address systemic racism without being legal? I don't have the answers to all of this, but I'm asking the Lord and I'm asking you and I'm asking people to reflect on this. Can I truly have an impact on institutional racism and dismantling it and addressing it without being political, radical and legal? I'm not 100 percent sure, but I am 100 percent sure of this. It was not okay with Jesus to sit by and watch the world spin on its axis of hate and hostility, and it's not okay for the followers of Jesus Christ to do it either. Enmity between God and men and between men and men was so horrifying to heaven that God sent his one and only son because of his love for humankind to come into this hateful and hostile world and to die a cruel death, transferring all the sins on him on the cross and then rising again from the dead, which brings me then to a final passage on enmity. So you'll have a total of uh, maybe four or five of them now. And this last passage on enmity is found in Ephesians 2, 13 through 16. Now let me read it to you because this shows us the power of the gospel. Listen, but now in Christ, you you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, ekthra. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he, here it is, put to death their extra hostility. Wow. Wow. 
The power of the gospel is that when Jesus died on a cross and rose again from the dead and shed his blood for all humanity, he actually shattered the dividing wall between Jew and Greek, slave and free. He shattered the wall between male and female, blacks and whites, Cubans and Mexicans, Puerto Ricans and Dominicans, between Africans and African-Americans, between the Chinese and the Taiwanese, between the Koreans and the Japanese, between the French and, well, the rest of the world. But my point is simply this. The power of the gospel is able to shatter the dividing wall of enmity and hostility. And when you accept that gospel, then you come into a relationship with Christ. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, now you have a new ministry. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. You now have the ministry of reconciliation. And I now have given you the message of reconciliation. All of us are ambassadors of reconciliation. So what does this mean for us now that we are one in Christ? Now that we focus on unity because of what Jesus did, it lands us then on our theme for the year. It comes out of Ephesians 4.3, and listen to the verse. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We already read in Ephesians 2 that he himself is our peace. And so make every effort to keep the unity. That means it takes an effort, but the unity is already there. He, he unified us in Christ. When we get saved, we're unified with our brothers and sisters, but we still have to maintain it, make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, which he is the prince of peace. So we have to focus on him to find our peace, not only with him, but with one another and honestly, peace with ourselves. And so the power of love, the blood of Christ, can wipe out all enmity, hate, and hostility and bring justice that came on the cross because God exacted justice on Christ on our behalf so we can enjoy the mercy and the peace of God. Without justice on the cross, there is no peace with God. So theologically, it's more than a protester's rant. It's actually the gospel truth. Without justice, there is no peace. It's theologically correct. It's biblically accurate. And here's the good news. We all can have peace with God through Christ. And then he can give us the power of that peace to be reconciled to our brothers and our sisters. So let me ask you, are you born again? Have you been born into Christ's family? Christianity is not just about believing and behaving. It's about belonging. And when you are born spiritually into a relationship with God, then you now belong to a family and you look to your left and look to your right. You're like, man, I got a, I got a mixed brother in the Lord. I got an Asian sister in the Lord. I got a Hispanic cousin in the Lord. Like all of a sudden you realize that we're all a part of one family and the unity that we share will let the world know that Christ loves them and he has sent us, according to John 17. And by our love, the world will know that we are his disciples, according to John 13. So if you don't know him, pray 
and receive him as your Lord and Savior. Just ask, just say, dear Lord, come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. Cleanse all that hostility and hate. And Lord, cleanse all of the, the thoughts that I might have that are negative against other people groups. Lord, just, just, just save me, God. Come into my life, Lord. I want to be new. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be broken. I just want to be new. I want to be alive in Jesus' name. And you pray a prayer like that. Just say it in your heart. The Holy Spirit will come into your life. And hence, it leads us to our theme. What is our theme? Our theme is stay in focus. Focus stands for followers of Christ united in the spirit. Followers of Christ united in the spirit. In the early years of our church, we actually used to have a service called Focus. But now we've got to realize it's more, about it. it's more than a service. It's a lifestyle. Stay in focus. Every time there's an outbreak of hate and hostility, let's remind one another, stay in focus. Followers of Christ united in the spirit. And if we're divided on the earth, then let's pray Jesus's prayer. Thy will in heaven be done on the earth. Now, to remind you of this, every year when I give the theme, I also give you a bracelet, right? And so here is our bracelet that you will get. Uh, and I'm going to tell you how to get it. Stay in focus. And it has the verse Ephesians chapter four, verse three. So how are you going to get yours? Well, if you want to hang out with me today, I want to invite you to come hang out with me. All right. So this afternoon between two and four at the Columbia campus, we're going to do a drive by. You just drive by. We're going to give my staff and our clergy. We're going to have bracelets and the bracelets are individually wrapped in plastic. So no one's touched it. OK, I'm not going to give you the one off my off my wrist, although uh, uh, maybe uh, maybe there's some anointing there. I don't know. I think it's sweat. But my point is simply this. When you drive by, you roll down your window. We're going to have some music and stuff. And you just we haven't seen each other for a long time. So this is spontaneous. So if you're around this afternoon and you're in Columbia, Maryland, Come on by Red Branch Road. I'm going to be there with a lot of other people just giving you, a, 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 you know, an elbow or a, a, a salute or blow you a kiss or air hug. Same with Owens Mills, Ricestown campus from five to six. All right. I'm going to be there on the campus. Come get your free braces. Get as many as you want uh, for your family members. All right. Now, for those of you who can't come, well, when the pandemic thing's over, you can get your bracelet then, okay? But we're doing the drive-through free bracelets today, this afternoon. Come on by and see me. There's one other practical application if you want to call these practical applications, but this one, it's a real practical application. In fact, I got something I got to read to you. Um, our clergy got together, and we realized that one thing that we need if we're going to be unified is we need a unified creed on, on racial healing. So we're calling it the Gracism Creed. We've all given input to it, and we gave uh, Pastor David Heiliger. Did you hear what I just said there? Pastor David Heiliger, and uh, congratulations to Pastor David Heiliger and Pastor William Jen. We're so glad that you're serving in our ministry and called to our ministry. We said, Pastor Heiliger, would you take all the thoughts and collaborate to come up with a gracism creed that we can all read and sign? And it's not just for Bridgeway, it's for the entire country. It's for the entire world. And so if you have an issue with Black Lives Matter, the hashtag, if you have an issue because maybe it's not led by Christian uh, people or, or maybe you don't like the philosophy or whatever it is, guess what? You don't have to use that as an excuse not to do anything. You can look at the Gracism Creed. It's biblical and you can sign it to say, Pastor, I'm in. You'll go to embracegracism.com. 
and read it, sign it. Let me know that you are part of being a gracist and that you agree that you're going to work to help bring the justice that the Lord wants us to bring, that you're against hate, hostility, and you're for love. And guess what? When it comes to politics, I don't care necessarily what party you're with, but I do care that many people are divided because of the candidates. So you'll read the whole creed, but there's one paragraph in there that deals with these politics, and I want you to hear it. So this is just an excerpt of the creed. The creed is like two pages. This is just an excerpt, and then after that, we're gonna end it with the video. You saw me dancing with the little girl, we're gonna end it with two little four-year-old girls, and that's all I'm gonna tell you before we bring the sermon to a close. But listen to this excerpt. This is what you would sign if you agree. As the nation decides to damn and divide based on political party alone, I will do the hard work to pursue a kingdom unity with those I passionately disagree with. I will not allow my political affiliation to determine my allegiances. I pledge allegiance to my God first, even if it puts me in opposition to the candidate I voted for. As I lift my voice to advocate for change, whether I am using my online social media presence, protesting in the streets or in individual conversation, instead of matching the hostility of those that disagree with me, I will match the love and wisdom from my Savior. I will be a truth teller that reveals the past and current harms that should not be overlooked. Recognizing that people are often led astray by divisive, distrustful, and divergent voices online, I commit to fact-checking before I repost, share, or link to stories simply because they support my side of the argument. My bridge-building voice will stand out in the chaos of polarized, politicized, and radicalized hate. I will not merely condemn injustice, but work for justice that builds toward peace. That's an excerpt of the Gracism Creed. When the service is over, go, read it, sign it, forward it to everyone you know. I hope the rest of the country, if not the world, would find this a creed that they can stand behind. And now I'm gonna send you out with this video because it's all about being united in our souls, united in our spirit. Heavenly Father, as we go, we pray that even this video would remind us that it's about not only this generation, but the generations to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.